This has been an interesting and fun sermon series. Uh, We started off with the premise that God can handle all of our questions. We were created with brains for a reason, and it's good when we question and, and struggle and grow in our faith. We're stronger because of it. And so we asked for people to submit questions that they would ask of God or questions they wanted us to discuss, and we received so many. Dr. Long and I sat down and we kind of shuffled through all those questions, and we found that, by and large, they all kind of uh, grouped together in in seven different kind of questions or sermons, and, and that's what we came up with for this sermon series. We had a fun time deciding who was going to preach what sermon, And I have to say that I'm pretty excited that I got such an easy topic this morning as to discuss the will of God in 30 minutes. (laughs) Now, this is a good point to remind you, something that Dr. Long said, that we are not going to answer all your questions, uh, but this is intended to encourage you to think and and wrestle and and, uh, dig deeper into Scripture for yourself. So... One of the reasons that it can get so complicated when we talk about the will of God is that we approach it in different ways. Sometimes we come and we ask, what is the will of God for my life? Now, we believe that God has given us the gift of free will, that we are encouraged to make choices. God has given us brains, and and we are to live life to the fullest And yet when we ask a question, what is God's will for my life, it's almost like we expect that there is something that's scripted out for us. And either we choose to do the right thing or we don't, and therefore we're outside of God's will. Another thing that makes it difficult is when we consider how God works in the world. Now, God's will can be very clear to us, but how God operates in the world can be very mysterious. We don't know all the ways that God moves and and operates, and so that can add to the problem. One of the books that Dr. Long mentioned a couple weeks ago that I want to encourage you to read on this subject is The Will of God. It was written by a Methodist minister in 1944 by the name of Leslie D. Weatherhead. And it's a wonderful book, a a very quick read, but it's very profound in its subject. And one of the things that Weatherhead does is describe and talk about the will of God in three ways. He describes the will of God as the intentional will of God, that ideal vision of God for all of humanity. But secondly, He looks at the will of God in response to the fact that all of humanity has free will. And that causes changes and circumstances. And so there is God's circumstantial will in that moment or in response to things that we've chosen to do or not do. But finally, there is God's ultimate will, that unchanging will of God that will be completed, that that will be seen through. Now, when I was reading this book, I couldn't help but be reminded of an experience in my life. Uh, something that happened several years ago when our daughter Hannah was a very young girl, we decided to take a family vacation to Red River, New Mexico. Now, money was tight, but I was determined that this would be the best 
most perfect vacation that we would ever have. And so I went online and I was trying to find the best deals and I found a group of cabins in Red River and I found the perfect cabin that was right by the river and it sounded perfect. Now, some mental flags should have gone up when I read words like rustic and quaint But I actually thought that they made it sound just like what I was wanting anyway, a family getaway to the mountains. When we got to the reservation, Jess, we picked up the keys to our cabin, and then they told us we would be the last family staying in that cabin because they were going to tear it down and put up a bathhouse with showers for campers. Again, alarms should have gone off. But I was just so excited, and I got all sentimental about the fact that we would be the last family to stay there. And then we went over to the cabin, and I saw why. It looked like an old, worn-out shed, barely held together, and that was probably its best side. I walked in, and there was an orange plastic couch. I've never seen anything like it. Um... All of the sinks and the bottom of the shower stall were covered in a thick layer of rust. And then there was the mattress on the bed. It had strange lumps in all the wrong places. I was in shock. I wanted this to be perfect, and so I was apologizing to my husband, and I was so discouraged that this had gone so far off course And then Hannah, our our daughter, ran through the cabin. She stopped and took a look around, and all of a sudden she exclaimed, I love this place. (laughs) And it reminded me of what was important. I went with the best plans, and I had my intentions, and then circumstances changed. But it was Hannah's exclamation that helped me to remember what really was of value to me that our family had a great time together, and we did. We had a wonderful time. But ultimately, my goal in life for my family is that we grow closer together and closer to God, and nothing ever needs to change that. Well, in a far bigger and far more holy way, that looks like the will of God. God has a a will for this world, a plan for this world, and, and yet because we have free will, sometimes things change. But in those moments, you can hear the voice of God reminding you, reminding us of what is truly important in life. We can live God's will in our life. Although sometimes we talk about God's will like it's a mystery, like it's something that's unknowable or it's a secret from us. And yet if you listen to this morning's scripture, it says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God. We are called to be living witnesses to the will of God to the world. Our very lives should be a statement that others can look at and see what God's will is. It's not supposed to be hidden from us. It's not supposed to be secret. In fact, we are supposed to broadcast it by the way we live. It should be evident in everything we do and say, so much so that we prove it to the world. 
we can live that in our lives. And there are three things that I believe that we can do and talk about this morning that can help us. First, it is important to remember that the way God works is a mystery in this world. Now, when we talk about God, a lot of times it ends up that we describe God in one of two ways. Either God does everything or God does nothing. Either God is sort of a puppet master controlling everything and everyone, or God created the universe almost like a clockmaker, winding up a clock, putting it on the shelf, and then just sitting back and whatever happens, happens. Now, I don't agree with either of those two views. And yet, I do think there's mystery in how God works. When I believe that we have been given free will, that we can make our own choices in life, I also believe that God works in the world and in our lives, and I can't explain all the ways that that happens. In a few weeks, we're going to be wrestling with the question, what's the point of prayer? Now, Suffice it to say, I believe we are called to lift up our deepest needs in prayer to God and pray for one another. And yet, I don't always understand how or when or why God answers those prayers. We trust God to live out his will that God's will is known, but the way God works in the world isn't always known to us. In the book, The Will of God, Dr. Long mentioned a story a couple weeks ago. A friend of Leslie Weatherhead's had a wife who was very sick, and she was dying, and this friend kept praying for her. He he stayed by her bedside, and eventually, tragically, she passed away. And in that moment, he turned to his friend, Leslie Weatherhead, and he told him, I guess it must have been God's will. Now, this man happened to be a doctor, And he had done everything in his ability to try to restore health to his wife. He had brought in specialists. He had spared no expense. And he had been praying for his wife morning, noon, and night. When he said that her death must have been the will of God, had everything he had been doing up until that point been against God's will? Of course not. Deep down inside, we know what God's will looks like. God's will is about life, healing, and wholeness. And we know that we're called to be compassionate and love one another. We don't always understand the way God works in the world, but we know what God's heart is. We know that God is about love and mercy and compassion and forgiveness. We know what that looks like deep down in our soul And we can live that way. Sometimes the way God acts, the way God moves and answers prayer is a mystery, but not God's will. We know that in our souls. Leslie Weatherhead had this in his book. He wrote this statement. Not everything that happens is the will of God, but nothing happens which finally defeats God's purposes. Second, how can we know God's purpose for our life? Now, when we ask that question, it can get a little tricky. If we mean 
to say, what is God's scripted out plan for us? I think that's the wrong question to ask. I think rather we should be looking to how do we best live out representing God to the world? What is unique about us? What are our experiences or our gifts? What do we have to share that makes a difference in the world? We all can share God's love in a multitude of ways. There's not one right way. We have creativity. There are different things that bring us joy and and fulfillment in life. One important thing is to keep open to the ways that God will bring opportunities to us to share and make a difference in the world. Nine and a half years ago, I was serving two churches in southeastern Oklahoma. We loved those churches. We had a great time there. And I had a 15-month plan for those churches that when I left in 15 months— They would both be strong enough to receive their own pastors instead of sharing one. And I absolutely knew deep down inside that that was the will of God. I had no doubt about it. And then one day I get a phone call from Dr. Bob Long of St. Luke's asking me to come and meet with him to discuss the possibility of coming on staff. Well, I already knew my answer. It was no, because I felt certain about the the will of God in my ministry. But I'd heard so much about this church and about Dr. Long that I was eager to meet with him. I would hope that he had some time to meet with me, that even after I turned down the job offer, that we could still talk about ministry ideas and I could take some of those ideas and put them in my 15-month plan. So I drove up here and I started meeting with Bob and He started taking me around the church. I don't know how to express it very well, except just to say that I started envisioning ministry. And it really caused some turmoil inside, because part of me was certain I knew God's will, and and the other part was starting to see other ways that I could share God's love in other settings. I finally realized that my plans wouldn't always be God's plans. And when I drove home that day, I started weeping because my stubbornness had almost kept me from an opportunity to be a part of a different kind of ministry. Now, we loved those two churches, but to be honest, this move here has been the greatest for my ministry and for my family and for those two churches. For me personally, I've grown more here and experienced more. It's been incredible. For my family, we've made incredible friendships and had wonderful opportunities. And for the two churches, they were strong enough to each receive their own pastor in three months. They didn't have to wait for my 15-month plan. Sometimes we need to be open to opportunities that God brings in our lives of different ways that we can live God's will. Another thing that's important is to look at your own life. What are the experiences that you've lived through? What are the resources that you have to make a difference? Now, some of you may know Jack Turner. He's a lifelong member of St. Luke's and graciously has allowed me to share part of his story this morning. If you don't know Jack, he's one of those kind of people that you need to know him. He's an incredible person, has 
wonderful stories about his grandfather who took part in cattle drives and homesteaded in West uh, Oklahoma, Um, his own involvement in developing beef cattle that have been sought after by some of the largest ranches in this country, and his leadership in the family businesses that cover farming and ranching and energy resources and trucking. He has traveled all over the world. He's very well-read, very intelligent. He has read everything from Oklahoma history to philosophy to the Wall Street Journal. And yet, many, many years ago, there was something that was beyond his control that changed his life forever. He discovered that his first wife, the mother of their three young sons, was alcoholic. He would find out that the disease of alcoholism would run through her family, and now it was impacting her and Jack and their three little boys. He would find resources, and eventually his wife sought help, and that uh, made a huge difference for them. But Jack had seen firsthand the pain and devastation that substance abuse can cause. And in that moment, he realized how this could be his purpose in life, how he could make a difference, how he could work so others wouldn't have to go through some of the things that he did. He understood his business sense, his resources, his connections, helped him to be able to develop programs that offered healing and hope to those who were suffering with substance abuse. Now keep in mind that God never brought alcoholism into his family's situation to get him involved. But God used Jack and opened his eyes to ways that he could make a difference for others because of his experience. And so it's because of Jack's passion, his gifts, and his willingness to share his story that the Faith Partners ministry here at St. Luke's came about. Now, Faith Partners, I believe, really is a wonderful example of a way to live out God's will, to offer hope and healing to those in need. It's led by a group of members of the church, many of whom have been firsthand witnesses to the pain and devastation that substance abuse can bring in your life. And yet, they walk with the church and individuals to provide them the best opportunity for growth and hope. That is our purpose as a church. It's the purpose of Faith Partners. It's Jack's purpose in life to offer hope and healing to those in need. Now, let me just say this. If you are struggling with any kind of addiction, whether it's alcoholism or drugs or gambling or anything, or someone you love is facing that kind of pain, please know that is not God's desire for you. God, God's will for your life is that you find hope and healing. And so if, if you're facing that kind of pain, please stop and get a brochure of faith partners at one of our welcome centers or ask any of the clergy. That's what God wants us to do, to help each and every person find hope and healing in their deepest points of need and then reach out and continue to offer that to others. And then finally, we never have to stop sharing God's love even when the circumstances change. Throughout Scripture, there are many different accounts of 
God's will in action, all the different ways that God affirms life and God shares love and God makes a difference and calls us to do the same. There are an infinite number of ways that we can live that out in our personal lives. If you are committed to living God's will for yourself, ask yourself the question, what brings you joy and makes a difference in the world? Or what are the experiences that you've had that you want to share with others? Or what are the times of suffering that you've gone through that you want to spare others from? Think about your own talents and gifts and resources and how you can use those to make a difference in this world. Now keep in mind, life changes constantly. There are things that happen that are beyond our control or sometimes because of our choices. Sometimes in life we face natural changes like tornadoes and thunderstorms. Or maybe we struggle with our health. Maybe it's an economy change or a change in our job or in our family. Maybe there are additions to our family or losses. Sometimes we can't stop the changes, but we don't have to stop sharing God's love with others. We never have to stop making a difference in the world. Sometimes I hear people say a statement like, I'm waiting on the Lord to kind of reveal to me what I need to do. We don't need to do that. We can do something. We can show kindness. We can show mercy. When we talk about waiting on the Lord, it's not about sitting on the couch and waiting for some sign to drop down. It's about being active. In fact, the word wait, I think, has more to do with what a waiter and a waitress do in a fine restaurant where they're so focused on their guest having the best meal possible. When we wait upon the Lord, we're so focused on God and and learning and discovering more about the heart of God through scripture and through prayer and worship and fellowship. And that brings forth incredible activity and um, creativity. I love the passage from Isaiah where it says, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. In other words, when we wait upon the Lord, it's not a time of inactivity. It actually spurs us on to do incredible things. It renews and restores our strength. The most important thing is to do something. Don't be held back. A little over a week ago was the anniversary of D-Day. On June 6, 1944, the Allied forces invaded Normandy. And it was the largest amphibious assault to that time or since. On that day, more than 5,000 ships were involved, more than 11,000 airplanes, and more than 150,000 soldiers took part It was the day that many view as the beginning of the end of World War II. The Americans faced heavy casualties, especially at Omaha Beach. Now, last year was the 70th anniversary of D-Day. And you may have heard the story of a young boy 
named Richie. He was 11 years old, and he and his father created Project Vigil, a way to remember and honor the soldiers who took part in that battle and those who paid the ultimate price and lost their life. They traveled to France, and for several days before the actual anniversary date, they went to the cemetery where many of the American soldiers were buried. Richie was in a World War II-era replica suit uh, that fit him, and he would talk to guests at the cemetery, talk to them about three different paratroopers who had died on D-Day. And then June 6th, the morning arrived, and he and his father went back to the cemetery. And for whatever reason, the police wouldn't let them in. Now, they were there for that reason, for that day. And for whatever reason, they weren't allowed in, but they wouldn't let that stop them from their ultimate goal and purpose, to remember those who lost their lives. And so Richie and his father went down to Omaha Beach, and he brought with him a World War II United States flag, and he planted the flagpole in the sand, and he had to hold on tight because the wind was so strong that day. And then this little boy looked out to the waters of the channel and he envisioned the soldiers landing and scrambling up the beach. And it wasn't planned, it wasn't scripted because everything had changed at this point. But in that moment, seeing that vision of the soldiers, he was inspired to salute. And he held that flag and he held that salute for an hour and a half. While he was doing that, people noticed And they came by and they took pictures. They took pictures of him and took pictures with him. News media showed up and and started filming. At one point, there was a band that was there for the uh, remembrance services of D-Day. And a trumpeter who was part of that band broke away and came and stood behind the little boy and played taps as he maintained his salute. At about an hour in, Richie's father was watching him this entire time, and he noticed his son's knees were starting to kind of buckle, and his arms were growing weak, but Richie wanted to hold it for as long as possible. Finally, 30 minutes later, he he signaled his father he, he was done, and two soldiers who were there came by, and they helped him to fold the flag. And Richie just had given everything, and he fell and collapsed into his father's arms. Now, their plans had changed, but that didn't stop them from fulfilling their goal. In life, we can know what God's will is, and there are so many ways that we can live that, so many that we don't have to let circumstances change the way that we share God's love. And when we live that in our lives, people will notice. And people will be inspired by the way that we show mercy and kindness, and they will do the same. And at the end of the day, when we've given all that we can possibly give, we'll find that our Heavenly Father is there to support and maintain us as well. We can know and live the will of God in our lives. It's why we are committed to share God's love, and bring hope to the world. It's in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers. <laughs> 